How are you guys doing? <laughs> Good. Well, I'm excited to be here. Um, I, um, I love Christmas, and I am in the depths of Christmas right now. And maybe you guys are too. We're one week away from Christmas. My house is, um, we have glitter everywhere. I've got two kids, two young kids. We've got glitter. We've got cookie sprinkles everywhere. We have a tree up. We put our tree up before, before Thanksgiving because that's what we do in the Kim house because I just, I just love Christmas so much. Um, there is so much going on. Maybe you guys have done your holiday parties for work. Maybe you've been shopping. Maybe you've been decorating. Maybe you're kind of in the depths of Christmas like I am, and you're feeling like all the busyness and all the craziness, right? Everything external out there, when you step outside the doors of the church, this evening, tomorrow, when you head to work, it's all like, kind of like a, um, the hustle and bustle of Christmas. Actually, I was talking to someone today who just came in to visit in the city, and she's like, I came just to experience Christmas in San Francisco because it's just like the hustle and bustle and the craziness of the city at the holiday time. But we're also in the midst of Advent here as a church community, as a Christian community. And the thing about Advent is that Advent is really about slowing down. It's really about waiting and preparing. And that is completely opposite to everything you experience when you go out the, out the doors tonight and tomorrow and throughout your week. Everything external says, do more, eat more, drink more, shop more, do more stuff with more people, squeeze in one more event. Probably so many of us have written those emails, oh, I'd love to catch up, but I'm so busy. The holidays, December is so busy. And so Advent, is calling us into a slower pace. It's more like a stroll or an amble. Yet outside of these walls, it's more like a sprint. It's more like chaos and craziness. And that's why I think that Advent is actually the most countercultural church holiday on the calendar. It requires us to actually do something totally different than what we're seeing other people do. Advent is actually Latin for coming or the arrival. We're being called to hold off some of that celebration, to create space, space for waiting, space for preparing. And everything around us says, no more space, squeeze more in. And everything inside here in the church in Advent says, create space, carve something out for something different. Advent is a holy rebellion. It's a pushback. It's a discipline. It's intentional. It's opposite to everything that you're feeling outside. Advent is a season in our year, but it's also a micro taste of a macro practice that we are called to as a Christian community. Now, I don't know, uh, maybe you're like me. As, as I was um, preparing for this teaching, I was actually thinking about my teaching last year that I did at Advent. And there's a lot of similar themes with Advent. And so I was kind of thinking about what I was teaching on. And I, was, uh, I posted a blog that I had written a year ago about Advent. And I was reading it and I was thinking, wow, I could have written this yesterday. Like I'm reading about disappointment and some of the, all the feelings that were going on last year at Advent. And I was thinking, this feels really familiar. Like, I literally could have written this yesterday, and it would have been just as relevant, just as real as it was a year ago. And sometimes when we get to seasons in the year, particularly December, when we're looking at the end of the year, we start talking about Advent and waiting and preparing, we begin to reflect back, and sometimes we can start to ask the question, has anything changed in my life? 
Has anything actually happened? Like I'm looking back on last year and I'm thinking, this blog is so familiar, this teaching is somewhat familiar, like I'm having a lot of those same feelings. Has anything changed? Has God done anything in my life? Am I a different person? Or am I just kind of jogging on the spot? Am I moving forward? Am I progressing? You see, some of us have been waiting for things for a really long time. And then we come into Advent and we start talking about waiting and it just kind of brings all that stuff back up of like, yeah, I've been waiting like all year. Or this is like maybe multiple Advents that I've been waiting for this thing. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship that just hasn't come about yet. Maybe you're waiting for a child. Maybe for a place to call home, a place of your own. Maybe you're waiting for your career to finally take off and you're looking back over all the years and thinking, gosh, all the Christmases I've sacrificed to work hard, to move forward, and I still haven't seen it. I still haven't seen that thing I've been hoping for. Maybe you're waiting for healing, physical or emotional. Maybe you're waiting for reconciliation, reconnection with loved ones. Maybe there are plans and dreams that you have and you're just like, oh my gosh, it's been weeks and months and years and here I am again waiting. Is God actually doing anything on my behalf? And maybe, like me, a little bit, you're a little bit annoyed at Advent. Here's someone again giving a sermon about waiting and it's just kind of like poking that really painful spot of like, you know what, I've been waiting for a really long time. Another year older, another year behind, another year of waiting for this person or this thing or this dream. And what can start to creep in is this sense of, I don't want to wait anymore. I've been waiting for so long. And in fact, if some of us were really, really honest, we would say we feel really forgotten in our waiting really unheard and unseen. It's a sense of like, I have been waiting, I have been praying, I have been faithful. Here's Advent again. Jeez, we have to talk about waiting. You know, as we look back on 2016, in many ways it's been a bit of a wretched year, hasn't it? It's been pretty disempowering, pretty depressing at times. Um, we've had all this political craziness. We've had headlines of scandals and wars and riots, and it's just been, it's been pretty dismal at times. Maybe it's been personally hard for you. Maybe you've had heartbreak. Maybe you've experienced grief or loss. Maybe you just felt like at times like the rug was just pulled out beneath you and you're just left uncertain and looking back on the year and thinking, what the heck happened? How, how did I get here? What went on? Or maybe it's not been that at all. Maybe it's just been the same old, same old. Nothing really great happened. Nothing really bad happened in your personal life. It's just like, here I am again, just the same old. And sometimes that can be worse, can't it? The sense of like nothing is changing, just the same old person, same old stuck. So we're ready for the holiday season, we're ready to celebrate, right? We're like, we're almost at the end of this year. There's a sense of like, as soon as like that clock ticks over into the first of the year, we're like, 2017, this is gonna be good. Let's leave this all behind. Like me, you've probably seen like a ton of stuff on social media where everyone's like, good riddance 2016, so glad to kick you to the curb, right? We're just, we're just over it. We're ready to launch into that new year. We're ready to start celebrating. But I wanna ask you something this morning. What if God still has something for you in 2016? What if God is not done with you yet? 
What if God is not in the habit of picking up your life, picking up your year, screwing it up and tossing it away and say, yeah, let's just count down to a new year because this one was so bad I can't even redeem it. What if that's not actually how God looks at our life? What if God says, you know what, in the midst of this year and all the disappointment, all the struggle, all the darkness, all the stuff that just feels like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to look at it. What if like deep in there, what about in the remnants of 2016, what if there's still something beautiful? What if there's still something good? What if there's still something divine and holy? What if God has something for you this morning? What if God has something for you for the rest of this year? He doesn't want you to give up. What if in all the darkness and all the disappointment, there's something new and something fresh? What if that wasn't wasted energy? What if those weren't wasted prayers? What if all those nights you were pacing saying, God, I need you to come through. What if it wasn't wasted? What if this purpose? What if God wants to do something before this year closes? That's what we're talking about this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 1. We're going to read Luke 1, starting at verse 5. This morning, we're going to read about a couple of characters that are a little bit more obscure in the Christmas story. They're not necessarily front and center, but I think that God has something for us today as we read about their life. Okay, Luke 1, starting at verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are here this morning to do a new thing. Father, I thank you that you are the God of the miraculous. You are the God who is still God in the darkness, in the struggle, in the disappointment, and you bring beautiful things out of things that we would throw away and say were useless and disastrous. God, you go into those things, into those lonely things, into those broken things, and you draw out beauty. Lord Jesus, would you comfort us this morning as we talk about things that might feel heavy to our soul? Jesus, thank you that you're a comforter. We welcome you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're picking up this story. If, you, you know, if you've been reading Yobu, you know that we have been, we've been reading through the Bible, we've been reading through the Old Testament, and we've been reading about how God has been speaking to the nation of Israel, how he's been communicating his heart and his plans. We've seen prophets that have risen up and had words from God that were so clear and so purposeful. In fact, some of them, their entire lives were just about bringing a prophetic word to the people of Israel. And we are picking up this story in the New Testament, and there has been 400 years of silence. There has been this gap between the old and the new, it's about 400 years long, of silence from God to the nation of Israel. No prophets, no miraculous angels, no signs, no wonders, nothing, just silence. And we have a people that have been waiting for a Messiah. Can you imagine if you were, you know, kind of on the older, older age, maybe a grandparent, that you were born in the midst of that 400 years, and then you had your children, and then they had their children, and you're just wondering, wow, how many generations are going to go by before we see the promise fulfilled? How long is this silence going to be? Israel knew something about waiting. They'd been waiting a really long time for the promise to be fulfilled. And then we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, you know, these two characters are somewhat normal people in the story. They're not heroes, they're not public figures, they're not remarkable, really, um, in that they're famous in any way, but Zechariah is a priest. He's married to Elizabeth, who is the daughter of a priest, and they're called righteous and blameless before God, and yet they have no children. And in this culture, at this time, it would have been presumed that if you lived righteously before God, if you lived blamelessly before God, that God would bless you. And that blessing, evidence of that blessing would be to have children. And so here were a couple that were faithful to God, and yet they didn't have children. I can imagine that personal struggle, especially in that time period where people would have asked, Family and community would have asked, what's going on with this couple? Why have they not been blessed with children? Their own questioning, what's going on here? Is God not good? Is God not faithful? They lived righteously and faithfully, and yet they were without children. Maybe some of us are asking that question today. God, I've lived righteously. I've made hard choices. I've sacrificed things. I've been faithful. I, I've been praying, and I'm still waiting and the waiting begins to bring up these questions. God, are you good to me? I see you good to other people. I believe that. But what about me? Do you see me in my struggle, my question? You see, Elizabeth and Zachariah, they would have known that disappointment so personally. The silence, the desperation, the emptiness of wanting to have a child and not having one. They lived in the desert 
I can't imagine a more geographical location that really exposes that, that sense of like isolation in a place where nothing was alive and growing, it was empty. They would have been very connected to their sense of emptiness and loneliness and questions. Maybe we feel an emotional connection this morning when we begin to talk about emptiness and disappointment and the things we haven't seen happen. Maybe we feel connected to that. And maybe we're not even sure why. Maybe it's just this thing that we kind of wear, this sense of like, I'm, I'm disappointed. I feel let down. I feel unheard. And when we start to talk about things like this, our hearts just begin to kind of curl up a little bit. And it's really challenging disappointment can make the best of us want to run and hide. And then here's Zechariah, and imagine this experience. He's in the temple. He's chosen to go in and do you know, this offering, this incense before the Lord. And this was a serious um, opportunity for him. This may have been one of the most important days of his life to go forward and do this. And customarily, he would have gone in he would have made the sacrifice, the, the atonement, and then he would have come out and spoken a blessing over the people. So everyone's waiting outside for him. Everyone's waiting for him to come and say something. And he has this encounter with the angel, which side note, that, that scripture where he goes, I am Gabriel. I'm just like, come on. Like, he just knows who he is. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I'm like, you don't really mess with that. But anyway... <laughs> So there's Zachariah, and he's given this word, and he struggles to receive it because it's been so long. He's waited, and he's old, and he says very kindly that his wife is old, too. And, and then the angel says, okay, because you haven't believed, you're not going to be able to speak. Now, that, that kind of sounds harsh, doesn't it? I mean, that kind of sounds mean. Like, this poor guy who's been given this, had this incredible experience, not only would want to share, but he's expected to come and say something. There's a crowd of people. It'd be like me walking out here and just standing here. You know, it's awkward and weird. Um, and in, in a part of us probably feel like, that, that seems really harsh. That seems like a punishment. You know, maybe the silence was actually evidence that something was happening. Here he is again in this barren and isolated place. He can't even speak now. But maybe the silence was actually evidence that something was happening. See, I don't, I don't fully understand the reasoning why Zachariah's voice was taken away, why, you know, why the Lord did that. Maybe there was, maybe there was this, uh, this sense of like creating space for him to prepare for what was about to come. He was about to have this miraculous child that was going to be this historical figure that was going to change Israel. Maybe there was a season of preparation. Maybe it was a gift. Maybe it gave him a chance to meditate on God and be in awe and wonder. I don't know, but this is what I know. God's character, that God is good, that God is loving, that God is purposeful and intentional, and in the silence, God is working. Because when we place that lens of who God is on all of our circumstances, it requires us to say something else is going on. Something is happening here. We don't understand it. We may not see the fruit yet, but because God is good, because he's purposeful, because we know he is for us and not against us, we can say something has to be happening here. Something had to be happening in Zechariah and in Elizabeth. 
And if that's true of them, if the silence was maybe an announcement in and of itself that something was going on, could it also be true for us? Could it also be true that the things that feel silent and empty and disappointing in our lives is actually evidence that God is actually doing something, we just don't see it yet. That God is actually at work and actually in it. Could this maybe not be the end, but be the beginning? There's an American storyteller by the name of Louis L'Amour, and he says, there will come a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. I have just been sitting with this for a few weeks because I just feel like, oh, yeah. Like, there has been many a time when I thought something was finished. But it was just the beginning. See, I believe that this quote actually captures a truth that many of us need to grab onto, that when we see silence and emptiness, that's actually a birthing place. That's actually where something begins. That's actually the start and not the beginning. See, historically, God starts with nothing to create something. When we look at creation, he's just hovering over this void, and out of absolute nothing, he creates everything. The nation of Israel didn't even exist until he called two people and said, I'm going to create this people. The resurrection is all about God bringing someone out of death back to life. The church, just a ragtag group of disciples, and somehow God birthed this beautiful community. See, God takes empty places and turns them on their head. God takes two people, one who can't speak, one who can't have children, two people that have just been waiting and longing for the Messiah, and he says, from these barren, disappointed people who see nothing happening, I will create someone called John the Baptist. I will take that nothingness and I will do something with it. See, we don't think like God, do we? When we see nothing, we think nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. When we see no one asking us out on a date, nothing really happening, yeah, there's nothing going on. Nothing at all, right? We see nothing, we think nothing. When God sees nothing, he says, oh, let's get started. This is just the beginning. But we don't think like that. And and sometimes our disappointment with seeing nothing becomes so tangible that we actually begin to live into it. And imagine if your life was kind of like a piece of clay, and what happens is the disappointment comes and it presses into that relationship you have with God, and it begins to mold it and shape it. And so soon the way we interact with God is being pressed upon and formed by this disappointment. And it becomes so tangible, it becomes more real than anything. See, disappointment always carries an invitation. The feeling that we haven't seen this promise fulfilled, the feeling that we've been let down, it invites us into something and it invites us to give up. It invites us to withdraw and pull back and to become bitter. It invites us to brood and to comfort ourselves through self-pity, to become angry and hard-hearted. See, that invitation is always available, and maybe some of you this morning, as you hear me say that, you're like, hmm, yep, I have felt that invitation, and I have received that invitation. That you start, it's starting to press on something in your heart. See, most of us deal with disappointment by disengaging. It's too painful to stay connected to God when you feel like he's given up on you. 
It's too painful to press into intimacy and worship with him when you feel like you've been waiting so, so long and just haven't seen the promise fulfilled. Sometimes we subtly kind of disengage. We come to church, we have our spiritual face, our religious face, we pray, we go to CG, we're reading through Yobel faithfully, we're doing all those things, but we know that deep, deep, deep down, we've just pulled back a little bit from that intimacy with Jesus. We just don't trust like we used to. We just don't delight in him like we used to. And then for some of us, it's a real blatant like, you know what? I'm done with this. I've been waiting so long that I'm just going to walk away and I'm leaving this thing. Maybe you're here this morning, you haven't set foot in church for a really long time. Maybe you're here because, you know, Christmas falls on next Sunday, so this is your once a year trip to church and you're thinking, that's me. I stepped away from this church thing. I stepped away from this Jesus thing a long time ago because I was let down and I was disappointed. See, I'd like to suggest this morning that there's a different invitation. That perhaps we are invited into hope this morning. That instead of detaching and hardening and remaining disappointed and empty, there's maybe an invitation to enter into hope. Thomas Merton says that hope then is a gift. Like life, it is a gift from God. Total, unexpected, incomprehensible, and undeserved. It springs out of nothingness, completely free. But to meet it, we have to descend into nothingness. And there we meet hope, most perfectly, when we are stripped of our own confidence, our own strength, when we almost no longer exist. As I was coming in to share today, I was feeling this heaviness. Because when we start to talk about disappointment, It's heavy. Some of us in this room are carrying things that we've been carrying them for so many years that they have become part of our identity and the idea of hope just feels like we let that go a long time ago. And I feel this morning that God wants to re-invite you back to hope this morning. When I was 18 years old, My brother, my only sibling, passed away very suddenly, very unexpected, and it changed my world. I I was a Christian, I knew Jesus, but I had never been through anything so dark, so disappointing. I'd never faced that kind of loss and grief before, and it put me in a tailspin for about three years. And that three years, when I look back on it, was marked with darkness, anger, bitterness, wrestling with God, not knowing what to do with all of these feelings, all of the sense that I had been abandoned and left alone. I felt like part of me had died with him. I felt like I lost a part of myself and it raised all these questions about God that I didn't know what to do with. But as I journeyed through that, and God was so faithful in bringing people into my life, where I was able to be honest and open and saying, this is what I'm wrestling with. This is the disappointment. This is the questions. This is the family that I'll never have that I thought was going to be my future. All of this stuff that started coming up as I journeyed through all of that darkness, it was like hope was right there in the middle of it. And like Thomas Merton says, we have to go out and meet it. 
It was almost like I could see it in the darkness and hope was like, come in here. Come in here because in here you'll find Jesus. You see, I believe there are things in our life that we go through They're hard, they're difficult, they're painful, and it feels like as we try to go into them to find Jesus, it's like parts of us are just stripped away. We just keep going deeper, and our control, and our capacities, and our own efforts, and all the stuff that we, it's like stripped away as we press into those dark things and we pursue hope. When we go out and pursue hope, we find it intentionally. You see, that's why hope is supernatural. That's why we need hope, because there is a transforming work that God is doing in us. And sometimes that only happens when we go into the dark places and we say, you know what? This is really painful and this is really uncomfortable and I want to run away and I'd rather have another spiced eggnog and just enjoy the holiday. But instead, it's Advent. So this is going to be my season. I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm going to find you in there. And the great thing that happens with hope, and this is as I've been studying, this is what the Lord has really brought home to me, that it is a supernatural gift because there is something that we want in our lives. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed. And that only happens when we go deep. That only happens when we press into the darkness. But what motivates us? Hope. Hope is like that person in the darkness that says, can you see me? Keep coming. Keep coming. You see, we think hope is futile. We sometimes, oh, I'm hoping for this. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we shame people for having hope, don't we? Jeez, are you, you're still waiting for someone? You're kind of old. <laughs> wow, you guys, are, you're, you guys are still, you're still trying to have a baby? It's been like 15 years, right? And it's like people kind of shame our hope, like that's kind of, that's kind of silly. It's kind of pathetic. Let me tell you, hope is not pathetic. Hope is fierce. Hope is rooted in the belief that no matter what happens, God is good. It weathers the storm of disappointment with an anchor so deeply embedded in the character of God that despite pain and loss and grief and waiting, it remains soft and expectant and open. Hope is not empty. Hope has been tested and pressed and worn against. Hope has been knocked down, trodden on, and assaulted. Hope bleeds and it cries and it weeps, but it is not fragile and it is not hopeless and it is not heartless. It is filled with strength and power and force because hope says, I'm going to keep going into the darkness. Even when you mock me, even when you may not understand me, I'm going to keep going in there because I know who I'm going to find in there. I'm going to find Jesus. And as I find him, I kind of fall away. All of the stuff that I thought was me that wasn't me, that's just just kind of burns off. And he becomes greater. And I become more glorious. Because I'm in my true self, who God called me to be, and I'm living for him, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily living for that thing anymore. Yes, keep hoping for that relationship. Yes, keep hoping for that baby. Yes, keep hoping for that dream. Hold on to that. But guys, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. I remember when I was single and people would say to me, oh, this waiting season, um, God's preparing you to be a better wife. Don't ever say that to people, by the way. But... <laughs> Um, 
so here's the thing. <laughs> there may be some truth in that. That, you know, there's probably in that waiting season, God was maybe, made, you know, working on me to make me ready for my husband. Um, but let me tell you than that, more than that. It is so much bigger than me being a better wife. It is so much bigger than that thing that you are hoping for. It's the transformation of you looking like Jesus. It's this transformation that happens that when we grab onto hope and we keep going, say, I'm going to keep going, and I'm still hoping for that thing, and yes, I'm not letting go, but the process, that is glorious, that is divine, that is holy. I am being transformed, and people look at you and they're like, whoa, you're kind of looking like Jesus. You're kind of looking like different. All of that stuff is falling away, but it only happens when we go deep. It only happens when we say, yes, I believe that dark times create a path to the divine. Hope is supernatural. And what comes out of that when we're willing to journey into it, no matter how long it takes, is that we come out with a voice. We come out with a voice. And that voice is sharpened and it is exacting, and it is restrained and free, and it's a prophetic voice. John the Baptist was known as the voice. Not a voice calling from a throne in a kingdom, not a voice from the mountaintop, but a voice calling from the desert. I am the voice calling from the desert, he said, prepare the way of the Lord. From a barren woman, from a man that couldn't speak, from all that emptiness and loneliness and questions came John the Baptist. John the Baptist, whose whole identity was, I am the voice, this crazy outlier, this guy that wore camel skin and ate locusts and honey, and he was wild and unconcerned with religious principalities and powers. And he said, you know what? I have a purpose. I have a prophetic voice. You see, some of us want to have a prophetic voice. Some of us want to be able to go to our kids, our friends, our family, our coworkers, and speak the heart of Jesus. Not in a weird way, but just like the words that we would say would be empowered by this experience of Jesus. We want that prophetic voice, but let me tell you something. The prophetic voice is refined in the darkness. The prophetic voice comes out of experiencing God in the darkest, lowest, most difficult moments. Some of you are here this morning, you're like, I want to have that voice. I want to communicate to the world. I want to see San Francisco change. I want to see my generational line transformed. You want a voice? Go down deep. Go down dark. Go down into the struggle. Follow the invitation of hope and believe that you will find Jesus there. You see, when the religious leaders came to John the Baptist and they said to him, who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet, meaning the Messiah? Nope. Who are you? He said, I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John knew who he was. See, when we enter into the desert, into the darkness, into the emptiness with purpose, not to just hang out there and say, my life is just miserable and I'm just going to be sad forever, not to pursue self-pity 
and just kind of everyone we talk to is like, oh, my life, yeah, it's so hard, it's not fair. No, when we go in with the purpose of finding Jesus there, we come out refined. We come out different. We come out with a prophetic voice. I think John knew what we need to know this morning is that when it looks like the end, it's actually the beginning. Some of you here this morning feeling stirred, feeling like, oh, I resonate with that desire for that prophetic voice. Then it's really time for us to prepare our hearts this morning for what God wants to do. It's really time to say yes to Jesus, to wait a little bit more, to press in a little bit more, to say, God, I'm going to keep journeying. You know, the thing about hope is not, um, it's not fake. It doesn't say, you know, I love waiting. It's so great to wait. <laughs> I, I just love feeling sad about this situation. It's okay. Jesus loves me. That, that's not what we're talking about this morning. That, um, that's not helpful. That's not kingdom. That's not Jesus. What hope says is, wow, this is really hard. This is, no, this is agonizing. Like this feels like my heart is being ripped out. I've waited so long. I've desired for so long. See, by its nature, hope is attached to two worlds. The sense of this is my reality of what I know now and the sense of what's gonna come and what I believe like I'm waiting for being fulfilled. And we find ourselves not just in Advent, but in every day of our lives as Christians holding that middle ground and saying, you know what, that's, that's actually a difficult place to be. It's actually painful sometimes. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and we're crying and we just, we feel the weight of that. It's okay to be real about that. But what I wanna encourage you this morning is don't cut short that process because we are being transformed from glory to glory. We are being transformed to look like Jesus. And this morning, as we enter into a response time, I wanna ask you, what does that look like for you today? Some of you are sitting here this morning and you really resonated with that sense of, I've disengaged from God. I moved away, whether it be subtly or blatantly, and I know this morning I need to reconnect. I need to come back. I wanna invite you guys, if that's you, to come forward for prayer, to come kneel and say, Jesus, I just, I wanna reconnect with you so badly. I don't even know how to do it. I don't even know how I moved away. I just know that I have. I know that I look back on my life and something changed. I don't have the joy. I don't have the intimacy. Something shifted. And so we come back and we get on our knees and we just say, Jesus, I just want it back. I want that intimacy back. I want to come back to you. And I know that that might be hard at times and it might mean more waiting, but you are more precious to me. You see, there's this falling in love with Jesus that I felt like God was speaking to me about during prayer at the beginning of service. This relationship, this intimacy, this invitation to re-fall back in love with Jesus this morning. As we're in this Christmas season, we're getting ready to, to celebrate the baby. I feel like what Jesus would say to you this morning is, just, just come, fall back in love with me this morning. Not for what I can give you, but for who I am. Let's do this journey together. Let me transform you. Let me work in you. And I will show myself the counselor that sits with you through the lonely nights. 
And I will show myself the comforter when you feel like you can't go on. And I will be the friend that always listens and never leaves you. And I will be the partner that will be by your side saying, you can do this. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. That's the the character of God that he wants to show you. But you only find that when you go deep. What does your waiting need to look like today? I'm going to have the the worship team go ahead and come on up. Feel like Jesus is just is just wanting to meet with us in a fresh and new way today. If you feel like you want to reconnect with Jesus, there's going to be prayer teams on the sides and up in the balcony. There are the rugs at the front here for you to respond. If you feel like you just want to prepare your hearts for the Christmas season, for what God is doing, we have people that want to pray with you, but you can also just come by yourself and just have your moment with Jesus. You can have it in your chair. You can have it however the Lord encourages you to respond, but I want to invite you this morning to respond. So don't hear, don't hear a word about hope and just say, oh, that's cool. I'm going to think about that next year. Remember the remnants of 2016, that there is something here and now that you don't want to miss. So let's position our hearts to receive from Jesus. I'm just going to pray. We have communion set up at the front here. If you're a follower of Jesus and you just want to come and remember, I invite you to come and take communion. If you're here this morning, and you don't know Jesus, but you feel like, I need that Jesus. I need that Jesus that's with me in the darkness and in the struggle. Let me tell you, he wants you this morning too. And I want to invite you to come forward and get some prayer and have someone just pray with you as you commit your life to him. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you need to recommit your life to Jesus. You're like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I've been coming to church, but that Jesus that she's talking about, I don't know if I've ever met him. I don't know if I've ever gone down deep to find that Jesus. I want to recommit to the journey. Then I want to invite you to come forward and just say to your prayer person, I'm recommitting. I've been a Christian 20 years, but I'm recommitting today to follow that Jesus into the darkness to know I won't be alone in that disappointment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are doing something here today and we don't want to get in the way of what you're doing. Holy Spirit, you are in control. We come under your authority. We trust you because you are good and you are kind. And I just pray that right now that you would begin to just move across hearts this morning, that you would just bring a deep sense of your love this morning, that you are for us, that you are not against us. Lord, I speak right to disappointment this morning, that those that are just like, just aching with disappointment, that it just feels like even their physical bodies right now are responding. And I speak to that disappointment, I speak hope in Jesus' name. I pray that you would set us free this morning from the bitterness that has kept us distanced from you. Lord, would you refine our prophetic voice? Let it be rooted in an experience with you that is unquestionable. 
that is real. In Jesus' name.